Jessica Cole. I'm Fu Lu. And this is Effing Shakespeare Shorts. We're thrilled today to welcome Elizabeth Lindsay Rogers to the virtual studio. Her new collection of poetry, The Tilt Torn Away from the Seasons, was published by Acre a little over two months ago. It's a gorgeous book, and we're excited to talk to you about it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. First of all, how are things where you are? I know your son just turned one by stalking you on <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> I would say things are chaotic, but in some ways I think it's easier to have a, a one-year-old yes. right now than children who are supposed to like be doing educational things and who understand what's going on. I mean, the one thing I'll say is that my son doesn't get what's happening, which in some ways is easier. Oh yeah. In terms of managing the household. Yeah. But it's busy. Busy. Yeah. Yes. And where where are you these days? I live in Washington, DC. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. At the <laughs> epicenter. At the real ground zero. Yes. You know, DC is actually a really pleasant place to live as long as you steer clear of certain areas, which, you know, I actually live about 10 blocks from the Capitol. I can see it from my house. Uh-huh. But, you know, my neighborhood is a very peaceful and happy place. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, DC is great. I- just thinking about the person, yeah. the other person who lives there. Just one. Yeah, DC is like a metonym for. Yeah. For a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> and you're a visiting professor somewhere? Is that so? Is that what you're doing? No, no, not right now. But I have in the past. I've taught at a lot of different universities all over the country, actually. Neat. And before we get to the reading, can you tell us a little bit about the tilt torn away from the seasons? I, I have to say, I love what you said about it in one interview. You said, in every poem, there's always somebody that is longing for either a connection to a previous place that they've lived or people. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's a book about social distancing, uh-huh. <laughs> which, is, which is really ironic. But to describe the book, I would say it's a dystopian book about the fallout from climate change. And most of the poems are taking place on this sort of like terraformed surface of Mars where the mistakes of Western history just keep getting rehearsed and replayed over and over again. And, you know, I'm not particularly interested in science fiction, but what I was interested in when I was writing this book is the way that colonialism is kind of an apocalyptic force. That's really what the book is about. Mars is just kind of a metaphor for a lot of things that, you know, pertain to our own history. That's how it seems when I read it. It's it's stunning. There's so many poems that I was going to particularly ask you to read, and then I realized that that would be, you know, the whole book. So we don't have time. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I do take I do take requests if you have one in particular. Well, I love Red Planet application because I love using forms that are not necessarily usually poetic and turned poetic. Uh-huh. I just think it's a brilliant way of co-opting. It's almost a microcosm of the book, but in a good way. <laughs> colonizing, colonizing of bureaucratic form. Yeah, I was trying to kind of queer the form of the application a little bit in that poem. <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, Frontier, which I know you've read a lot. But anyway, whatever. I, I love them all. All righty. Should I start with the Frontier? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. The Frontier. 
after the first 360-degree panoramic photograph of Mars. And all those years we'd pictured fire, a neon sign blinking vacancy, a world as red as that inside our bodies, but without the claustrophobia, the low ceilings of our skin. We didn't think of a sky azure only at sunset, or stones a similar blue scattered across the regolith. Now we know this pair of weary moons, the first one painfully slow, a pinprick taking three days to move across our vision. The second, Phobos, is the western origin of fear, misshapen, mold gray. Every four hours it rises like the last potato of the famine. And by now I know, as you must, what it means to lose your lakes and oceans, to creak inside the riverbed, cross its sockets and arthritic elbows, to think of rain as a form, a tome of bygone remedies. I can only dream of what snow must do for the desert. The camera pans this world like earth pocked by canyons, like liberty the surface looks aged a green patina. Over dune and dust, the rover's tracks are the only disturbance. Like a sidewinder or wagon ruts, the trail circles and circles itself again. Again, the ground-made target practice. We come in peace, curiosity says, but that's how all our ships began. As I land, I weigh next to nothing. I leap three times as high. But there is no canopy, no timber for an axe. Apple seeds float. There won't be saplings next year, though spring goes twice as long. Imagine a western set, a terrain of glare and scour. The unspoken agoraphobia drives us all into the saloon. The sheriff, the unshaven rogue, the virgin in blue gingham, the Indian, and the hourglass whore. Horses are dead, whiskey still brown, but a grit in our throats. The first shot sounds, in air this thin, muted as a powder puff. On cue, we turn. Picture how slowly the shutter swings, doors float open really moving. Thank you. That was actually the first poem that I wrote for the book in addition to being the first poem in the collection. In the collection. And it's weird. It's weird when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a a legend for the rest of it too, which I love poems that open collections where you know, okay, this is what it's going to be about. And I can almost refer to this if there's anything oblique in any other poems, you know, like a sort of map or something. Yeah, I think of it as like you said, a legend or like an origin mm-hmm. myth poem mm-hmm. or the sort of poll poem for the collection. Yeah, that yes. teaches you how to read the rest of the book. I love that. I love when poets do that. I, I don't feel spoon fed. I feel very guided when, when poets <laughs> do that. So my next question might be slightly loaded, but how did you find your way to Acre? I know, I know there's a longer oh. history there. It's a long story. I know, because <laughs> this is supposed to come out two years ago, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's been in the pipeline for quite a while and then stuck in the pipeline and then out of the pipeline. So, 
years ago when I started sending out this collection, I eventually landed at another press where there were some problems with the editor. He was doing some unethical things. Mm -hmm. And after a lot of thinking, I decided to pull the book from that publisher. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the most horrible things I think that's ever happened to me as a writer. Yes. You know, I I had to take it out, not under contract anymore. And I knew that I might not find another publisher for it. Because it's a weird, it's a weird book. Well, I mean... (laughs) I say right, not because I think it's a weird book, but because of the times in publishing and poetry and right, you'd you'd found a home and then and then it wasn't a good home, so you had to leave home. <laughs> it's never a good feeling. You know, there had been lots of interest in this manuscript really right from the get-go, but it was just a little bit too weird, I think, mm. for a whole host of people. It does take a lot of risks, I think. Anyway, after yes. I got the book out from under that contract, I started thinking about, you know, where would be a good place for this book? Who is going to like take care of it and and give it the life that it deserves? And I had heard about Acre through a former press mate from the University of Arkansas, which is where I published my last book. Mm -hmm. And I just submitted the book through the Acre system. And lo and behold, Lisa Ampleman and Shara Leslie, who were the editors that chose this collection, they just said, this is this is what we want to do. We get it. We get this book. And I just had, I had the best feeling. I had the best feeling about working with these women. And Lisa has been my main editor for the collection. And she's just so fabulous. It really makes me think about, I guess, some of the stuff that we're willing to put up with in in publishing that we probably shouldn't. Having someone who really takes care of your work, it's the best gift that that you can imagine. Absolutely. Wow, I'm so glad. I mean, it would not have been in such good hands or even such good editorial hands, probably, with the first press. You shall not be named, but... Yeah, I think in the end, I'm glad that you know, it, it ended up where it was supposed to be, even if it took a really long time. Yes. It also looks like I wrote the book like last year or something. I was going to say, and then, <laughs> you know, I'm reading stanzas like, you will never see your family or friends again, discuss from Red Planet Application. The brush of another person is more gravity than I can stand, like a lantern's metal and paper. If you touch me, I may collapse. I have sworn off skin to skin, and not just during Lent. I was like, oh, so this was basically written last month. (laughs) Yeah, it's become strangely relevant, right, (laughs) in the current times, because it is so much about the consequences of social distancing in in a lot of ways and how there we have this human need for connection at the same time the book is also about the most evil parts of humanity which are you know greed right the impulses right to exploit others and to exploit the land right so it's a complicated book I love it. Really, it excites me. I want to teach from it. I I want to do a lot with this book. So I'm grateful that we're doing the series because I might have missed it. And I'm so glad that we didn't. And yeah, and, and your publishers reached out to us. So they're they're taking great care of you. You're thinking, I know again from stalking on Twitter that you're thinking about a chat book these days. And what else is giving you hope writing, writing and otherwise? Yeah, I was thinking about publishing a chapbook just to give myself kind of like a smaller 
project to focus on in this time that I'm feeling so unmoored. Mm -hmm. I do think I have two kind of separate poetry projects going right now. And one is, you know, this series of long kind of site specific poems that are about climate change, but not on Mars, right? Mm -hmm. About our earth. And so that kind of follows the vein of the tilt torn away from the seasons in a way. And then the other strand of poems is a very different project and it's I guess more intimate lyrics about the complications of parenting and queer fertility and related to the major life changes that I've had in in the past year so I've got those two poetry projects going I also have an essay collection that I'm looking for a publisher or perhaps an agent right now so there's a couple of different plates that I'm spinning That sounds good. That sounds exciting. More Elizabeth Lindsay Rogers in the world. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Any non-writing things that are giving you a little moment of respite or, or even optimism, hope for optimism? I mean, it's really amazing to have a one-year-old because just the level and the speed of development is so fast right now. And so, you know, he, he can do things this week that he couldn't do last week. Yes. He remembers like where I've put the things that he cares most about, which are the broom. He loves the broom (laughs) that lives in the kitchen, (laughs) you know, his favorite snacks, everything he's not supposed to have. He knows where it all is in the house and he just will constantly go to those places and try to take stuff out. <laughs> but it's it's pretty funny actually to watch. And also he walks now, which, oh you know, God. he couldn't do recently. So it's crazy to watch someone just like go around the world and be so fascinated by everything. Yeah. So on good days, on good days, I would say that that really gives me life. And that's basically all I'm doing right now is like small things related to the book. You know, my whole tour was canceled Yes, and taking care of my kid. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of all, all we could do right now. Right? All of us. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And we wish you much luck and success. And it's great to talk to you this morning. Thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. Ethne Shakespeare Shorts is a production of Bloomsday Media, hosted by Kate Markin-Williams and Jessica Cole, and me, Fu Lu. Production assistance by Lily Wolfmeyer.